of worship. My life is going to be defined in many ways by worship. Let me just say this to you. You can never worship God too much. Can you say amen? It's not like, it's not like somebody's going to come to you and go, oh, no, there may be some people that try, but God will never do this. Like, hey, you need to calm down. You're, you're, you're worshiping too much. You're, you know, you're getting a little bit out of control. The reality is it should be who we are. We should be a people of worship. Can you say amen? Now, this morning... I want you to kind of use your imagination, if you will, because what I really wish that I could do, I really wish that I could transport you back in time to the early church and to those first days that are recorded in the book of Acts where you could be a part of their worship service because I think the experience would change you forever. I think if you could go back and watch and observe and be a part of what they were doing, I think it would rock your world. Because I think today we, we live in such a sterile and, and one-dimensional uh, place. I, I, you need to understand that God is vivid. You know, a, a God that creates with such variety. I mean, animals that have long noses and they every different shape. And, you know, the duck-billed platypus, it's, it's almost like God had spare parts and just put it together. God is a creative God, isn't he? He's, he's a God of many flavors. If, if God were ice cream, he would be Baskin-Robbins. How many know what I'm talking about? He, he, he's, it's not just one size fits all. God is a creative God. And there was such a dimension of worship and, and style and freedom in life in the early church. And I, I think in many ways we've kind of lost that. We've, we've kind of become this sterile, flat, one-dimensional style of worship. And I, and I believe what God wants us to do is to get back to that place where worship is filled with life. Can you say amen? amen. Where worship is exciting. I, I want church to become, because we call church a worship service, don't we? I want church to become that place where people are excited to come to. It's, it's not like, oh man, it's Sunday morning. I got I to gotta drag my rear end out of bed and I got to get down to church, man. I got to get this done. And boy, I hope the preacher is short today. I hope he doesn't got a long-winded sermon because, man, I... I just, man, I need to just get home, have lunch, and I just need to rest. You know, I, to be honest with you, I've said that. I've looked in the mirror and said, hey, dude, don't be long-winded today. <clears throat> I've said, look, just get up there, say what you're going to say, shut up and sit down, and let's get on with it. I, I've thought that. But somewhere along the line, the reason that we come to that is because it's so predictable, isn't it? it we come into this place where it's, I know exactly what's going to happen. It, it happens that way every time. We should be excited to come to church because we don't know what God's going to do next. We should be anticipating. And you say, well, isn't that really up to God? Well, in some ways it is. But church, let me tell you something. Part of it's on us. You say, what do you mean? Because, see, God is looking for a partnership. God wants you and I to work with him. He, he told us to go into all the world and preach the gospel. How many know revival really is about us? He says, now I will work with you with signs and wonders confirming the word that you preach. He says, but we're going to do this together. 
And so when we talk about church and our worship service, he says, this is something we're going to do together. So I wish I had that ability to take you back. I want Listen to this verse of scripture in Acts chapter 4, verse 31. The Bible says, and when they had prayed, listen, the place where they were assembled together was shaken And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Can you imagine? Just think about it for a moment. Can you imagine what that would be like if, if when we had a worship service, the ground underneath us just shook? Oh, that, that's just New Testament. That was for that day. No, I declare to you, the Bible says our God does not change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What he did then, he wants to do now. Can you say amen? He hasn't changed his mind. He is still the same God that was there when they worshiped. He is the same God that is here today. Can you say amen to that? Now, you need to know that a day before this verse, took place that Peter and John had been preaching in the temple. The religious leaders were greatly disturbed that they were teaching the people about Jesus. Can you imagine the audacity? Here they are going to go into the Hebrew temple and they're going to preach Jesus. And the Bible says the religious leaders were so upset that they laid hands on them and they put them in custody. They put them in jail until the next day. And it says that the next day that Peter and John were being interrogated, they were being questioned about why were they preaching in Jesus's name? Why were they talking about Jesus? And by the way, what power Well, whose power it is, whose authority are you using to heal that man that was sitting at the gate, beautiful? How did you do this? Now, I'd like to think that the religious leaders wanted to really know. I'd like to think that the religious leaders really wanted to know what Peter and John were up to in the sense of whose power they were using. But the truth is, they didn't care. All they wanted was Peter and John to fall into a religious trap, but they couldn't. Because there was something different about these guys. Listen to this. I'm taking you somewhere. There was something different about these guys. And in Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 13, it says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. And they realized that they had been with Jesus and seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. Now, you need to understand, this is all going to lead up to this incredible worship service. Now, after a short session of deliberation, the religious leaders, realizing that there was nothing they could do, had to let them go. And the Bible picks up the story in verse 23, and it says, being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the see and all that is in them. They worshiped. They worshiped because of the power of God. They worshiped because God set them free. They worshiped because they saw the hand of God in their lives. And the Bible says the place that they were was shaken and they were again filled with the Holy Spirit. See, those early days of the New Testament church, they were incredible days. 
And if you can imagine it, it was, it was unbelievable. It was wild. New believers everywhere. They were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to the praising of God. They were worshiping. They were, they were magnifying God. You would see this if you could see it. You would say, look at these people. If you could see this, you would, you would be amazed. You'd say, look at those people. Look at, you know, God seems so real to them. He has such intimacy and freedom and power in their lives. In those few minutes, you would witness <coughs> worship in a way that's hardly ever seen anymore. And you would see how the Holy Spirit manifests himself through the awesomeness of God in the life of a believer as they praised and worshiped. See, church, that's what we ought to hunger for. You missed a really good place to say amen. (laughs) Thank you, Frank. I appreciate you, man. You know, think about this for a moment. What are we here for? Have you ever asked yourself that? What what exactly are we doing? Uh Uh-oh. Now he's going to praise him. Are we praising him? Jason, ask me what I'm doing. A little louder so they can hear. A little louder. I'm praising God. Does this look exciting to you? We get more activity at a basketball game. You should see my wife during a Cardinals game. Come on. The Andy Divine Days Parade downtown were more animated. Who is Andy Divine? Who is this little fat dude? I don't even know who he is. But we celebrate him. We named streets after him. Church, we ought to be praising God. Why? Because he opened the prison door for you. He healed your body. He delivered your marriage. He saved your kids. He made a way where there was no way for you. That's why we praise him. And I imagine if we could see that New Testament church, I think we would wish that we could experience that. Well, here's the truth. I believe you can. All you have to do is grow in a lifestyle of worship. See, the reason, (coughs) church, it's difficult when we get here is because we don't practice it. See, the moment we leave church, worship tends to stay right here. Come on with me. Oh, we may have a moment, a fleeting moment, when we're driving in a car or sitting at home where we go, thank you, Jesus. Or in those incredible moments where our bacon is saved, thank God. You you, you You know what I'm talking about. You run a red light and there's a cop right there. But he doesn't turn around. You go, oh, thank you, Jesus. That's not worship, church. 
Come on now. Somewhere this has got to be real. Somewhere we got to break out of the shell a little bit. Somewhere we got to go, you know what, God? I love you. I love you. I want you. I need you. I worship you. Growing in a lifestyle of worship should be the goal of every believer throughout all of their Christianity. Why? Because worship is central to all that we do. Nothing is more important, and nothing can replace it. Listen to me this morning. God inhabits the praises of his people. Not just mine, not just on Sunday. He inhabits the praises of anyone who will praise him anywhere and everywhere. He inhabits your praise at home. He inhabits your praise at work. He inhabits your praise when you're cooking or cleaning or doing any other mundane thing. God inhabits your praise. Every time you praise him, every time you worship him, he's there to meet with you. Are you hearing what I'm saying? See, there is, in this praise and in this worship, there is supernatural, there is inherent supernatural power in worship. Listen to what I'm saying. When God's people come into his presence with thanksgiving and with praise, warfare is waged. It's waged against our enemy. How many have ever struggled in life? Don't raise your hand. There's no doubt we've all struggled. We all have difficulties. We all have bad days. Most of the time we're content just to mully grub about the bad day. How about let's change the bad day? Truly change it. I'm not talking about just, you know, positive mental affirmation and, you know, somehow convincing ourselves everything is okay when in reality it's not. I'm talking about genuinely, truly changing what's going on in our lives. We have that power if we'll just praise him. Look what Psalms 8, 2 says. It says, you have taught children and nursing infants to give you praise. They silence enemies who were seeking revenge. <coughs> praise in the hand of an infant can silence an enemy. Are you hearing that? That's such a powerful thing. Praising God releases explosive faith that frightens the enemy, that will drive him out. Praise and worship breaks through all barriers, natural and otherwise. Are you hearing me? In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, it says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. You know one of the weapons that we have? <clears throat> those spiritual weapons, it's praise and worship. And praise and worship works to destroy the works of the enemy. See, praise and worship invades hell, but it excites heaven. Are you hearing what I'm saying? See, praise is not just a song style. It's, it's not just what we do when we sing, but praise is a declaration. It's a declaration. It's a victory cry that's proclaiming the faith to stand firm in the place that God has given you. 
See, the enemy intends to plunder. The enemy intends to hold you back, to hinder you, and to prevent you from becoming all that God would have you to be. But praise declares, I will not be moved. Are you hearing what I'm saying? In Psalm 73, in verse 25 and 26, it says, Whom have I in heaven but you? Oh, there is none upon the earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Listen to me. David understood the secret. He understood that the strength that he possessed was not his own, but it came through a lifestyle of praise and worship, and it gained him victory after victory after victory. David learned that if he would praise God, he would overcome the bear and he would overcome the lion, and eventually he would overcome Goliath. And all that he faced, as long as he was praising the Lord, David had strength to overcome. Can you say amen? There's a story of a missionary in China that many years ago came down with a case of smallpox and was quarantined to her room, completely covered in these ugly marks from head to toe. Back then, the doctors could do nothing, and her fate was death. During a time of fervent prayer, God spoke to her and told her to praise him for his faithfulness to keep his own word. He showed her in a vision two baskets, one containing her test and her trial, the smallpox, which was full, and the other containing her praise which is only half full. And God told her that the praise basket needed to outweigh her trial. And when it was full, she would receive her healing. She praised day after day, night after night, others fearing that she was going insane. She sang from her heart for all that God had ever done for her and all that he would ever do for her in the future. She spoke of his greatness and his faithfulness for healing her. After several days, the Lord showed her that her praise basket was full. She walked out of that room completely healed, with skin as smooth and clear as a baby's. We may look at that and say, oh, that's a nice, quaint story. But I declare to you today that that story, time and time again, has been proven to be true with different situations and different circumstances where people say, look it, I have no other opportunity. I have no other avenue. There is no other choice, but I'm going to worship him and I'm going to praise him. And what he does is he begins to move in ways that we cannot for ourselves. Think about it, church. How do your baskets look? Are the trials and tribulations, is the basket of your trouble, is it full? Some would say, yes, it's, it's been full for a very long time. Well, look at the basket next to it. How is the praise and worship basket? Is it, is it, is it just half full? Is it a quarter full? Where is that? What are you doing about that? Are we so focused on the problem <coughs> that we forget to praise and to worship? Do we forget that? One of the greatest stories ever recorded in the Bible about praise and worship was the story of King Jehoshaphat. During the reign of Jehoshaphat, 
Israel's enemies rose up to destroy the children of Israel. And the Bible says in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verses 1 and 2, it said, It happened after this that the people of Moab, with the people of Ammon and others with them besides the Ammonites, came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great num- multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria. And they are in Hazaron, Tamar, which is in Gedi. This is no small situation that's happening here. Here's King Jehoshaphat. The odds are against him. He's looking at his situation. The victory is remote. Have you ever been in a situation like that where the odds were set against you? You had no money, but the bills stacked up. The doctor gave you a bad report. A child has gone wayward. A wife or a husband seems like they're departing. The boss is looking to make a big change and your job's on the line. Have you ever gotten a situation where it's like somebody comes to you and says, hey, there's a multitude against you. It's a no win. The odds are against you. There's really no hope of victory here. Well, this is exactly where King Jehoshaphat is. And we need to see what he did. The Bible tells us something we all need to pay attention to. In, in, in 2 Chronicles 23 and 4, it says, And Jehoshaphat feared, and he set himself to seek the Lord and proclaim a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah gathered to ask help from the Lord, and from all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. Now it's interesting that in this context, the phrase to seek the Lord is much more than what it seems. In the original Hebrew, in its most literal sense, it means to seek with wholehearted devotion through prayer and worship. And the phrase, he set himself, means to give himself to. So 2 Chronicles, you could put it up, uh, uh, chapter 20, verse 3, could read like this. And Jehoshaphat feared. He became anxious, worried, and apprehensive. So he gave himself to seek the Lord with wholehearted devotion through prayer and worship and proclaimed a fast. I wonder how many of us, that's, that's what we do. No, generally what we do is we waddle away. We walk away in frustration and fear. How many understand this morning this is the only way? to true victory. See, too often we get stuck in fear and worry, and we try to take matters into our own hands. I'm amazed. It just blows me away because I find myself more often than not doing that. I find myself, even in the face of the evidence of God moving in my life, making a way where there seems to be no way in my past, oftentimes I find myself being stuck in fear. Wondering, well, will he do it again? Well, will he move for me this time? See, that's what happens when we get out of the habit and the practice of praise and worship. Then what it does is become intermittent. Our ability to trust, our ability to see, our ability to be confident in faith becomes hit and miss. Are you hearing what I'm saying? But the Bible teaches us that we must surrender our fears and our worries. And we surrender them through prayer and worship. 
Now, as the story goes, Jehoshaphat, as their leader, stood up in front of everyone, and he proclaimed the power and the might of God. Then he quoted the promises of God. He made their fears and their requests known to God. Then he waited for God to give them direction. All of that is an act of worship. All of that was him saying, God, you are the answer. We will magnify you. We won't consider our problem. We will consider you. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So what does he do? He begins to proclaim the power and might of God. He magnifies God. That's a kind of a strange statement, isn't it? To magnify God. Who do you magnify God with? You magnify him in your mind. You get God bigger than your problem. Too many times our problem is bigger than God. What we do is magnify him. We remind ourselves of his power and his might. We quote his promises. We remind ourselves of what he's already told us. And then we lay at his feet our fears and our worries and our requests, knowing that God's going to respond. And then we wait. Then we stand and we say, God, I trust you. All of that, church, is an act of worship. Once they completed that by verse 13 in this chapter, then God speaks to them. And in 2 Chronicles 20, verses 14 through 17, it says, Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, the son of Jael, the son of Mattaniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly. And he said, listen, all you of Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem and you, King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. They will surely come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. And you will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. Now, there's a couple things that we need to see in this passage of Scripture. First, I find it's interesting that the prophet that is used to speak God's word here is in the lineage of Asaph. I don't think that's by mistake. I think that's on purpose. See, Asaph, back in the day under David, Asaph and his children were worship leaders in the tabernacle of David, appointed by David. But Asaph was also a prophet. And he was in the house of the Levites, and he was a priest in the house of God. So the word of the Lord came through the DNA of one who worshipped. I don't think God, I don't think that's by accident. I think if we pay attention there, we understand that the answer is going to come through worship. Let me say it again, because you're missing these really, really great places to yell and shout, Amen. I believe the answer is coming through worship. Thank you. So why is that? Somewhere along the line, church, we got to understand that the things that we face, the difficulties, the hardships, the, the setbacks, they just ain't all that much when it comes to worship. 
When we worship, church, we're going to change the world around us. When we worship, God comes on the scene. Can you say amen? amen? The second thing that we need to see in this passage is God exposes the enemy and his strategy when we worship. So when the word of the Lord came, he, he said, look at, let me, let me dispel your fears. Don't be afraid. Don't worry. Don't freak out because I know right where the enemy is. You're going to go down against him and this is where he's going to be. You're not going to have to worry about it. It's not going to be a surprise attack. He's not going to come in the back door. He's not going to uh, overwhelm you because I know right where he's at. See, if you will devote yourself to prayer and worship, you will never be taken by surprise. Are you hearing what I'm saying? The third thing that we need to see is when we worship, this is probably one of the greatest things, the battle becomes the Lord's. See, I'm convinced today that there are too many Christians fighting battles they were never meant to fight. When we worship, the battle becomes the Lord's. Listen to what he says. He says, position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. That statement, position yourselves, stand still, this, this is literally a posture of reverence and awe and worship. Listen, I'm, I'm going to show you. See, because it was the same thing that God told Moses at the Red Sea. Do you remember that? In Exodus chapter 14, verses 13 through 16, and it says, Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians who you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. And the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward, but lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. Now what we can tell from the context of that passage of scripture is that standing still was not a physical thing, but a spiritual one. You say, why? Well, first off, it, they were moving. He tells them first, stand still. And then he says, hey, why are you crying? Get moving. Almost sounds like a contradiction, unless he's talking about two different things, right? Are you hearing me? So this standing still was really an act of surrender and trust, which is the basis of all worship. He says, stand still and see. In other words, I want you to position yourself. I don't want you to be afraid. I want you to put yourself in the position. And I suppose if God were to expand that thought, he says, put yourself in the position of worship. Trust me. Worship me. Magnify me. Now let's get going. <laughs> man, that's good right there. That, that's another great place to say amen. Thank you. Why? Because he's given us the secret. 
Church, we do not have to live with the suffering and the, and the, and the garbage that we live with. We can change it. After the word of the Lord came to them, <coughs> to Jehoshaphat and the children of Israel, you need to see their response. In verse 18 and 19, the Bible says, And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Now look at you need to understand something. I'll finish this verse here in just a second. They had... They've been given a word from the Lord, but the manifestation of the the word had not yet happened. They've been given a word. God says, don't worry, don't be afraid. He says, I'm going to fight this battle for you. This is where the enemy is. You're going to go down. You're going to put yourself in position. You're going to do that, but you're going to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Now, they hadn't done it yet. The word of God had not come to pass yet. But what we find them doing before the word of the Lord came to pass, we find them worshiping. Church, you will receive words over and over and over in your life. The way those words are validated in our lives and brought to to a place of fruition is through worship. It's by saying, God, thank you. I receive it, and I worship you as if it has already happened. Then the Levites of the children of the Korathites and of the children of the Korites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with voices loud and high. Don't you love that? You know, I think one of the reasons today that we have such a hard time with worship is that in many ways, our backs are just not against the wall that bad. I told you a few weeks ago, I said, I think the problem <coughs> with the American church is we just have too many options. Maybe we should pray that God start removing some of the options. What? Don't do that. We like our safety net. problem is, is God wants to be the safety net. God says, I want to be your backup plan. I want to be plan A. I want to be plan B. I want to be plan C. I want to be the plan. I don't want you to have another option. Because when you have another option, you will, just like electricity and water, you will flow in the direction of the least resistance. And he says, what will happen is you will begin to worship something other than me. Listen, church, worship isn't just about a voice singing a song. Worship is about a heart that is determined direction. Are you hearing me? So these people bowed their head and they worshiped and they praised the Lord with a high and loud voice. Then in verses 20 and 22, it says, So they rose up early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe his prophets, and you shall prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those 
who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of his holiness. As they went out before the army and were saying, Praise the Lord, for his mercy endures forever. Now when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushments against the people of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, who had come up against Judah, and they were defeated. Now let's get something straight here. The children of Israel, they were outnumbered. They were outgunned. They were outpowered. There was no hope of victory. But at the word of the Lord, they went out anyway, and their only line of defense was the choir. <laughs> their line of defense was, we're going to worship God, for he has given us his promise. We're going to praise him. I don't know how I'm going to pay that bill, but I'm going to praise him. I don't know what's going to happen to my health, but I'm going to worship him. I don't know what's going to happen to my marriage, but I'm going to worship God. I don't know what's going to happen to my job and the downsizing that are happening, but I'm going to worship God. I don't know what's happening to my children, but you know what? I'm worshiping God. I don't know what's going on in my life. I, I don't know what's going on in this country. I, I can't make heads or tails of anything, but I'm going to worship my God. I'm going to worship him. I'm going to sing and praise, and I'm going to devote my heart. I'm going to set the direction of my heart toward him, and I'm going to worship him. Now, here's what they, the children of Israel, didn't see when they worshiped. As they began to worship, their enemy began to fight each other and began to destroy each other. And by the time Judah got to the battleground, all they saw were dead bodies. Not only were they safe, but the Bible records, if you read on, is that there was enough plunder, there was enough left behind, that it took the children of Israel three days to collect it all. The Bible says this, the wealth of the wicked is laid up. For the righteous. How do I get that? You worship God. Because your enemy, your enemy will become the place of your greatest blessing if you worship him. That's why the Bible says that God sets a table for us in the presence of our enemies. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Then here's the best part. This is, this is the part that probably spoke to me more than anything. Verse 29 and 30, it says, And the fear of God was on all the kingdoms of those countries when they had heard that the Lord had fought against the, fought against the enemies of Israel. Then the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for his God gave him rest all around. I'm wondering how many of us could use some rest. I'm wondering how many of us could just use some peace, some stability, some time where it's just stable and there's no storm, there's no difficulty, there's no back and forth. We're just there. See, when we live a life of prayer, praise, and worship, we can have rest on every side. You say, why is that? Because our offensive weapon 
against the enemy is not to fight, but to praise, to worship. The Bible says in Psalm 22, 3, it says, But thou art holy, O thou that inhabits the praises of Israel. That word inhabit means to tabernacle, to dwell. God dwells in the praises and the worship of his people. And I'm going to tell you, Satan can't stand where the presence of God is. Can you say amen? amen? Now, as we close this morning, we must learn. We must learn to give God praise and glory in the face of every obstacle. Are you hearing me? Amen. Worship cannot be dictated or controlled by our circumstances or our feelings. In other words, this morning, we cannot allow our circumstance or our feelings to tell us whether to praise or not. We must praise equally in the face of victory as we do defeat. We must praise Him. Because if circumstances or feelings determine the level of our worship, we will never see victory. Now listen to me. We don't pray, <coughs> praise God for the trial. We don't praise God for sickness or the tests or the things that Satan may throw in our lives. We don't praise God for that. We praise God in spite of that. Are you hearing me? When the children of Israel faced their enemy, all they did was worship and praise. They didn't even ask for anything. Why? Because they understood God can't be manipulated. <clears throat> God's not going to be manipulated by anything. But one of the great things about praise and worship is if we'll just worship him and if we'll give him glory, we don't have to ask. He already knows. Are you hearing what I'm saying? He wants our lives to be blessed. Why? Because it brings him glory. <clears throat> Do you understand everything God does is for your benefit and his glory? When he blesses you, it is a praise and worship unto him. The Bible says this in 2 Corinthians 1.20. It says, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. So through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. <laughs> you didn't catch it, did you? So through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. <clears throat> God says, I will heal you of all your sickness and all your disease. That's to the glory of God. I will supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. That is to the glory of God. Every time you say amen to a promise, you're bringing glory to God. Because his promises are yea and amen. He's already said yes. God, will you heal me? Yes. Will you provide for me? Yes. Will you make a way for me? Yes. Because when you're blessed, he's glorified. Everything he does is for your benefit and his glory we honor and give him glory when we come into agreement and accept his promises 
That's what's happening. You need to learn to take your position in praise and worship. And you need to sing in spite of what may be going on. You need to take authority over all the work of the enemy through praise and worship. Can you say amen? In Psalm 57, listen to what the Bible says. David is writing. He says, my soul is among lions. I lie among the sons of men who are set on fire, whose teeth are spears and arrows, and their tongue is a sharp sword. Be exalted, O God, above of the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. They have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. David never denied the reality of his position. David never denied the reality that things were difficult. David never denied that things were tough. But what he did is in the midst of the struggle, he bowed himself and worshipped. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It goes on and it says, They have dug a pit for me. In the midst of it, they they themselves have fallen. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and give praise. Awake, my glory. Awake, lute and heart. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, O Lord, among the people. I will sing to you among the nations, for your mercy reaches in unto the heavens and your truth unto the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. David is in crisis in this psalm. But in the midst of his crisis, he lifts the name of God. He exalts him. Church, I declare to you that we need to shake ourselves. We need to shake ourselves and start worshiping him. We need to shake ourselves and start worshiping him. We need to fall in love with worship. Some of you today, you have situations, you have circumstances, you have problems. There are some out there today that the doctors don't even know what to tell you. God does. Worship him. You don't know where the money's coming from. God does. Worship him. You have no idea how to fix the relational problems in your life. God does. Worship him. God will make a way where there seems to be no way. When we look back into the Bible, when the children of Israel were thirsty, God commanded a rock to give water. And out of a rock, God quenched the thirst of millions of people and all their cattle. Why? Because nothing is too hard for our God. Amen. Isn't God good this morning? Why don't you bow your heads with me? Father, we thank you, God. We thank you for your goodness and your glory. We thank you for your word. And Father, we do pray this morning, God, that you would help us. Father, we pray that you would break that shell, that that crust that forms upon us, that lays over top of our worship. God, help us to find freedom. God, I speak freedom in this place. 
Father, let us not say, well, I'm too old for that, or, or that's just not my style. Or, God, let, let, us, let us turn our heart towards you, God. Let us be free again to worship, to magnify you, to celebrate you. Even, Lord, if we must get undignified like David did, Father, let it be so. Let it be so, God. Let us fall in love with worshiping you again. And Father, I pray that as we fall in love with that worship, Lord, that you would begin to move in supernatural ways. Lord, that your presence, God, would touch and minister. That lives would be forever changed. Lord, that we would hear testimony after testimony of the goodness of God at work in the hearts of men and women. Father, it's just too easy to just put it on autopilot and cruise through life, accepting what may come. Lord, that's not your will. It has never been and it never will be. You have set in our hearts the gift of worship. You've given us the ability. You hardwired into us the need to worship. Father, let us worship you. I pray for every family, every home, every marriage in this place. I pray for every need in this place that you would cause that need to be fulfilled and met. And Lord, we give you the glory and we give you the honor and we worship you today. We magnify you, Lord. We lift your name for your name is worthy. There is no name like your name for your name brings salvation. Your name is glorious. Your name is high and lifted up, and we magnify you. We thank you, Jesus. I wonder as every head is bowed and every eye is closed, if you're here today and you say, you know what, Pastor? I don't know Jesus is my Savior. I'm not right with God. I've, I've, I haven't given my life to Christ, or, or for whatever reason, you find yourself disconnected from him. You've walked away, and now you want to return. You want to... Recommit to him. If you're not saved or you want rededication, if that's you, would you lift your hand? Lift it up. Thank you. I see that hand. Someone else. Amen. I see those hands. Thank you. Anyone else? Would you all pray this prayer with me? Say, Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my life to forgive me of my sins. I believe in my heart and I confess with my mouth that you, Jesus, died for me and then rose again. And because of that, I can be saved. In Jesus' name, amen.